for me, it's for me, it's a it's a deeply personal issue, and it's brought up a lot of feelings that I didn't even know that I had. Okay, so I'm a bit nervous about uh, tonight. I'm a bit excited. Okay, uh, what we're going to do is. Uh, as a family group, we talked about, as a house church, we talked about this last week on Wednesday, and uh, we had some really great time together in terms of people talking about just some different experiences that they've had in their life and how it's uh, had an impact on them today. Um, one of the things for people that have, were here uh, last, uh, last year, last spring, was it, or the fall before, I don't remember the exact time, and we did a a series about things that have happened in our lives and how we develop certain patterns and certain habits and how it's important to recognize those things about ourselves. Uh, One of the things that I think we can all agree on is if we've ever felt treated differently for whatever reason or ever been wronged in a certain way, it, it creates a certain type of response in us, maybe subconscious, maybe conscious. Um, the thing about race is it's very hard to have this conversation. Um, and one of the things that uh, we've noticed here in our community is, is become a big issue in our community around Clemson, around the university. Um, it's been a big topic, even in South Carolina, the entire state. This has been an issue over the last several months to a year. And as a, as a church and as representing God, we have people that are coming, that we come into contact with that are visiting, that are dealing with these things and have questions. And it's good if we can have conversations in a healthy, spiritual way, the way that God would want us to, okay? And so we're gonna talk about a, a couple of things later, but what I've done is I've asked a couple of people to share. Uh, Julianne is going to share, and India, and Jacob, okay? and. What I want you guys to do is, I encourage you guys to do is just to, to listen, as Keith said, but to really listen with your heart, okay? Engage your heart into what uh, your brothers and sister have to say, your sisters and your brother, I should say, have to say, and uh, what they're going to share. Um, and what is not happening is we're not trying to have a, a time of people airing grievances or complaints. That's not what this is about. Uh, what it is is, is a, a time for us to listen and to hear and to hopefully be able to see that people that we are close to and next to every day that we are in the race with, that we are on the path following God with, that there are things that are happening in their lives that have an impact on you know what they do and what they say and things that we can help each other be able to handle spiritually. But if we put walls up, it can be real stumbling blocks and hindrances and obstacles like we've been talking about uh, from Hebrews chapter 12 uh, for growth. And as we continue to grow to maturity, this is one of the areas that, um, you know, we're going to have to be able to handle more and more as well as the other ones. So we'll do that first. Uh, Julianne, if you go ahead and come on up. Um, just uh Take the time just to, to listen and to hear. And uh, when they are done, I'm going to come back up and uh, close us out with some things. So, first, this is like an extremely uncommon thing. 
thing for me to talk about because I've just never really like been able to form a solid like answer or solution or opinion on this um, because of life experiences. So most of the time, I typically just don't talk about it and just try to go through life and like not really think about it as much as I can. But um, first, I'm just going to start with like you know how I was raised, and um, I was raised with two different mixed or two different race parents. So I grew up thinking like there was nothing wrong with like being different colors or people of different colors associating with the other race. And um, then I went to school and I learned that that wasn't like the most common thing ever. And people, when they found out I had one parent that was black and one that was white, they were like, what, that's not allowed. Like you can't have that. And I'm just like, but I do. <laughs> and like, it really like had an effect on me. And I remember um, even in daycare, a girl who was darker than me came up to me once and she was like, oh, you're black like me. And just because of like the stuff I had been going through at school, I was like, no, I'm not. Like I'm white, you're black. And I felt myself like wanting to be um, what I thought was like the better race and what people were acting like was the better race. And I was treating other people like that. Um, and then when I got older, it got really weird because people like, talk to me from both sides. So like the white people would say things around me that they wouldn't say around fully black people. And the black people would say things around me that they wouldn't say around fully white people. So I felt like myself in this weird situation where like I was dealing with so much like racism and stereotypes and people just covered it up and they were just like, oh, but you're like half offended. And, um, and I just like really became like an introvert and I felt like I couldn't really trust people and that people didn't really like love me fully for who I was, that I had to like either be one or the other. Um, so yeah, I guess what I learned from all of that is like how important empathy is, and not just for like one side, but for both sides. And um, empathy is just like the ability to like associate yourself with someone else's feelings or emotions. Yeah. And um, I think that's really hard to do sometimes because first, our first natural instinct is to want to say like, how does this make me feel? And how is like, how, how do I want to treat this person versus if I was this person, how would I want to be treated? Right. Or am I voting for this law or president because of what my type of people like versus you know, other people? And it's a very, very selfish way of thinking. So like I said, don't know the answer. <laughs> don't really talk about it that much, but like that's just what I've learned from my experiences. And um, I did want to read something really quick in James 2. So it's James 2, and I guess I'll read 1 through 13. But, okay, so it says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. 
Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich one who oppress isn't the isn't it the rich one who oppresses you and drags you into the court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the people who for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the person who said, for, for the same God said, um, wait, okay, for the same God who said, you must not commit adultery has also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. I don't have any wonderful scriptures. <laughs> um, I'm just, um, well, I have a kind of a, like one of the things that came to mind when I was thinking about just my journey with race in general is that, you know, I'm an alien. And I've always been an alien, um, and, I, and I'm sure some, to some extent we 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 feel those things when we become a Christian and we get placed in the world and how outside of things we are. But that's kind of always the role that I've had. I was born in 1972. Um, desegregation was in its infancy, um, and when I got to high school, my parents had made sure that we had always had the best, and what the best meant was that you were in the white schools and in the white neighborhoods. And so that meant that while people didn't, for the most part I had, I, had, I was be able to be involved with things, I was kind of always on the outside, and I found myself wanting to know what it's like to be black. <laughs> so I chose to go to a historically black university when I graduated from my 95% all white high school, of which there were only 13 black people. And um, because I wanted, I wanted to know what it was like to be on the set of a different world in real life. And some of you guys might not know what different world was. But it was like this TV show that talked about HBCU life. And you got to, you know, embrace your heritage, go back to Africa, you wear your hair in natural rock the dashiki, um, play African drums, uh, learn about your history, or what you assumed your history it was. And I fully embraced that. I decided that I wanted to change um, the world because even though in 1990 when I went to college, we were 20 years out from desegregation, it still was a divided world. There was still unrest. I, when I was in college, that was when Rodney King happened. And there was so many stories that were taking place across the United States where people 
of color were being treated unfairly. Um, that, that people were being brutalized. People were being denied just basic rights, basic things that we just expect to have. There was a community down in Georgia that were denied running water inside their home because they lived in a community where <laughs> the people in power controlled the law and the money. And um, so I got interested in grassroots organizations that were going to change the world. And when Rodney King happened, I, we, this organization decided we were going to plan this march. This, we were going to walk in silence. We were going to march back to campus protesting the mistreatment of African Americans. And we were almost to campus, and the, my organization was already at, in the middle of the quad, and we were preparing our speech. We had the support of the um, NAACP and SLIC and um, the S, well, the S, not SLIC, but SCC, the Southern Christian leaders. The Nation of Islam provided our um, security to make sure things weren't un, were unruly. And the governor, because there had been so much unrest across the nation, so many riots that had taken place, got skittish and decided to call in the National Guard. And um, true to our promise, we were silent, walking quietly and peaceably when um, the National Guard decided to send in helicopters and they decided to tear gas us. Mm -hmm and um, incited a riot. And one of, the, one of the things about a riot, because they're just, they're a beast, they're an animal. They're, they're, they, they just, they're taking a life of their own and they destroy, it's like a dragon coming in, destroying everything in its path. So we have tear gas going off and then all of a sudden you hear windows being broken and there's fires. And unfortunately, in the aftermath of this, you've got this whole community, all of these, all of these um, businesses served our community, the African-American universities that were there. It served them. We destroyed it. There were people that were, weren't a part of our, our community that helped with that. There were people who took advantage of that, that chaos that destroyed it. But those were all destroyed. Those, those business owners lost business. We lost the stores that we were used to going to. And it left me um, feeling like the world hadn't changed. Like I, I, had, I had no ability to make changes. And I, I was, felt lost. I, felt, I, I ended up stepping out of that organization and I did, decided not to pursue it and, uh, for, for a lot of reasons. And um, as I got older and I came into, because I'm like a teenager then, I came into adulthood, um, I had been abroad and come back and um, I decided, I, I was invited to study the Bible and I became a Christian. And the reason that I was so attracted to the church was because I got to see all of these different people who on the surface were so different. I mean, especially in our ministry, uh, the ministry I was participating in was an arts ministry, and we had everything. <laughs> we had every color. We had people with mental illnesses. We had recovering addicts. We were like, 
any differences you could think of were thrown together in this group. And I got, I saw the first century church in that mm -hmm. and loved it and thought it was wonderful. And I felt like in that moment when I decided to become a Christian and I embraced this community, that I had laid to rest all of those feelings of distrust, all of those feelings of being a victim, of being an alien, of being, of not having my place in the world because I had found my place. Yeah. And we jump forward to 2000, well, I, was like, I can't remember the year that Obama became president. Eight. 2008. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm hearing the same rhetoric that I had heard in 90. You know, the hatred, the, the, just, I can understand you not agreeing with a political figure, but the just some of the, Below the belt hatred that was spoken about this man, <laughs> it was it was scary. It scared me, and I find myself now. I have guilty thoughts of kind of being grateful that my child looks the way she does. I mean, you all know who Naya is. She's white looking, <laughs> you know. She's got blonde hair and blue eyes and. I have friends who have black boys, and I have brothers who are clearly black looking, they're black, and I worry about them. I worry about their safety in this world. I worry about, you know, if they're going to get hurt because someone just assumes that they're dangerous or doesn't, just doesn't like them. And I'm grateful, <laughs> I'm ashamed of my gratitude, but I'm grateful that my daughter probably won't have to do anything other than answer the question of why her mommy doesn't look like her. And that's all I have to say. So I'm talking from a very different perspective um, of not really feeling any of the weight of this stuff until recently. And I was sharing just my gratitude at Family Group on Sunday with everybody who was sharing because I think hearing stories, like hearing India talk about the riots and hearing Bailey t just share some stories from school growing up and just hear, and Julianne, I mean, and even Matt was sharing about some stuff with where he grew up. And I think for me, I've always been a little bit sheltered from the true weight of racial tension. And like my mom grew up in Sumter. She went to high school in the 60s. She was the first class at Sumter High School uh, when everything was you know, not segregated anymore. Uh, she was the first integrated class to come in. So she came in as a freshman and the cheerleading squad was all the black girls and all the white girls. And the football team was all the black guys and all the white guys. And she just, that's what she knew. And even like they had, they had a black maid growing up, but she was a part of the family. She was at Christmas dinner and Thanksgiving, and her family was part of. You know, they were, they were Martins. They were at all the Martin family events, and so my mom didn't really feel racial tension much. Like she just grew up feeling like, okay, you know, I'm friends with black people. They're friends with me. We all get along, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so that's kind of the way I grew up, um, you know, all through high school. My high school was very diverse. We were. Actually, over 50% you 
um, Asian population, and then the rest was kind of a mix of black and white. So, like, it wasn't ever, it wasn't just this, like, white high school. I didn't experience that, and I didn't feel like racial tension was that real, except for radicals. I was like, okay, there are black people who hate white people, and there are white people who are just really racist and ignorant, and I don't know anything about them, but I know that they don't live here, and here, we're all friends with each other, and we all love each other, and I didn't understand the extremes because I'd never experienced them, and so in my mind, everyone who was black knew that I loved them and that I wasn't racist, and I could make black jokes with my black friends, and it wasn't offensive because they know I loved them, and really, that was kind of the way I went all through college, too. I came in, um, you know, when I got converted here in the church, it was like, I felt like it was half black. I'm not sure if that was true, but at least the campus ministry, I mean, we had all these older black sisters who just took us under their wing, and I mean, I, it didn't feel weird. It didn't feel like there was any kind of tension. I I greased Sheroda's scalp, and I didn't even know what greasing a scalp was. I mean, I was like, I was just like, whatever, none of this is weird. Bailey's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but I didn't feel, I didn't feel the weight of it even in the church, and it didn't seem like it was just because we were disciples. To me, that was just like, okay, this is normal because we don't live in a radical place. And so racial tension isn't real here. And yeah, there aren't many black people on campus, and I hate that, that we aren't very diverse, but at least the black people who are here know that all the white people love them because we all get together in Clemson, South Carolina and love each other in football. And I didn't understand the weight of it. So then the last year, I think even when tensions started rising on campus, in my mind it was like, okay, there are some people, there are like a few really ignorant people on campus who are just hurting people's feelings and saying this stuff that's getting a lot of people riled up, but they don't represent the greater population, and surely everybody knows that. Surely everybody knows that it's only a few people who are thinking this way, but really, that was just me being blind to the fact that issues are real, and even if it's a small subset of people who have the really strong, hateful feelings, that affects people. The way that they view themselves from one comment, and I think on Sunday, just hearing some of the things people were sharing, I was like, man, I mean, I couldn't think of stuff when I was a kid that made me upset, but I never had to wake up and think like, well, people are going to judge me because of my skin color today. And, you know, maybe a bad outfit, someone's not going to like me, or a stupid comment in class, they'll think I'm stupid. But that, it's the idea of, like, who you are in your very being, causing people to not appreciate you or to feel a way about you, that just... Um, it's something I didn't understand at all. So for me, really, us having this discussion was helpful because I saw, like, okay, just because we all love each other here in the church doesn't mean that there aren't people being offended here in Huntsville's church. And just because we all love each other doesn't mean that there are people who still don't feel alone and feel like people don't understand them and they can't share things. And to me, it's like, okay, well, yeah, if anyone's feeling something, they could definitely talk to me about it because they know that I understand that I'm loving and oh but also I could probably make a black joke and that won't be offensive because they know I love them and just realizing like that's not okay and that we have to be comfortable enough to have the dialogue that someone can tell me hey you're being really offensive or hey Jacob you know it wasn't something you said but here's something that happened to me today and I need you to just listen and you know what you don't understand at all and that's okay but I need to tell you about it because I'm really hurting and just to be able to have those kind of conversations um that I think will change the culture here where it's not just there are a few 
people who are black and feel like they're the only ones who understand themselves, but they can feel like they have brothers and sisters who are there to support them, whether they've experienced those things or not. And that, beyond race, I mean, that should be, we say that we're going to carry each other's burdens, but if you aren't willing to talk with someone and listen to them about things that you don't understand at all, that it's not a sin thing, it's not something they've done, it's just something they're feeling because of the culture, and that's just as heavy, and that can affect your life just as much as yeah. any any sin or any family situation. Yes. You know, whatever it is. Um, so, really, I don't have anything more to share than that. So it's, it's not easy for people to get up here and share some of those things. Um, and if you, it, it's okay if you may feel a little uncomfortable, okay? That's, that's okay. Um, it's, it, what I, again, what I want you guys to hear is that there are things way under the surface that are going on with your brothers and sisters and people that are coming into the church that... At some point, we have to be able to have a discussion about in a healthy and spiritual way. It takes a lot of courage for your brothers and sisters to get up here, um, share those things. And uh, hopefully what we can do is as we get into our house churches next week, um, we can have a discussion. You can ask, you know, people can ask questions. Hey, you know, is, you know, what's going on? You know, is, you know, how do I, how do I you know, do this or, you know, is, is this okay? We won't have all the answers, but if we can start having healthy conversations, I think it's going to help. Uh, Again, we said we're not going to have all the answers. Okay. But you heard some different stories uh, from uh, different people here and there are events going on around campus and in our community that uh, bring up questions, you know, is, is it okay to go to a sit-in to, you know, to stand up for what is right. And there's nothing wrong with standing up for, you know, something that is right, okay? The Bible calls us to be set apart uh, from the world, but you have, to be, you have to do that with wisdom, okay? Like India shared, she was in a place that was intended to be peaceful and nothing was going to go wrong. It turned into a riot. You have to be careful, okay? And you don't necessarily have to feel the same way that somebody else does. You don't need to feel guilty if you don't want to go and do that. Okay. Person who's involved in that doesn't need to make your brother who is not there with you feel guilty for not doing that. Okay. We have to be able to empathize like Julianne said with one another. I have a few, I have a couple of video clips. There are two things that I kind of want to talk about and I want to read some scriptures about, uh, as we close. Um, I need some volunteers to read some scriptures. I have five. Um, ben, can you get 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17? Abby, Matthew, I mean, Galatians 3, 28. Um, Brent, uh, Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Um, uh, <laughs> Liz, <laughs> Mark 1, 40 through 42. I'm like, I know what it is. Um, Patrick. Uh, Matthew six fourteen and fifteen, um, and read them as you get ready. Uh, you go ahead and find those, and I'll I'll let you know. So, what is what does Bruce demonstrate here at the end of the clip? 
if you're not familiar with the movie, okay, Grace is his girlfriend for a long time. He hasn't treated her very well, okay, and he trades places with God or Morgan Freeman, okay. Um, I don't know what God looks like to you, um, probably not like Morgan Freeman, um, but he trades places with him and he does all this crazy stuff as God because he's all powerful and right before this he finds out that Grace is praying to God that she won't love Bruce anymore because it hurts too bad and he goes out in the rain and gets down on his knees in the middle of the highway and gets run over by a semi-truck and so that's how he's standing in front of God okay but he he does something very important there at the end of his prayer what does he what does he ultimately want for grace happiness what's best for her he wants somebody that will see her the way God does okay um, Ben go ahead and read 2nd Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Okay. Um, who had Galatians 3? Abby? There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What I get from these scriptures is that God sees people in a certain way. Okay? A new creation. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Okay? A worldly point of view is to see what's right in front of you. Okay? Michelin does this training, diversity training, and um, they give it to you one time in the hopes that that's enough. And then, but if you get in trouble saying some stuff around work that you shouldn't, they make you go take it again. Um, but they have this iceberg, and I don't know how many of you guys have seen the iceberg of personality, you know, but you have these things above the water that you can see, race, hair color, you know, stature, all right? But underneath the iceberg, which is much larger, there's all kind of other things, okay? And what, what's really going on under the surface is much different, but anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, okay? One of the challenges that uh, I have sometimes is, um, you know, really even seeing the new, the new creation, okay? Sometimes, um, you know, especially when I was younger, you know, you see somebody, and this is, you know, something that Crystal and I go through because we know each other before we were disciples, you know, and I have to, you know, I, I realized early on um, that I had to pray to be able to see people the way God does, both in the church and outside of the church, you know, and the Galatians and Keith already said it, you know, when we are in Christ, we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
okay? We're all brothers and sisters. We are all family. You know, my parents adopted three kids, and those are my brothers and sisters. You know, unfortunately, my older brother passed away this year. Fr Friday would have been his 36th birthday, okay? But that's my family, okay? It doesn't matter if they were born of my parents or not, and that's what we get. You hear from the stories that in the church, everybody has, you know, there's been something that, you know, drew them here. They felt they felt that this was a place where they could come and, and be comfortable. And if we can't have this conversation, you know, we're missing something. Okay. Um, the last one, you know, as we're going out and we're going to our class, we're going to our job. You know, Jesus says the harvest is ripe and it's plentiful, but we need more workers. And I was thinking about this and, you know, I was thinking, you know, God has a plan and each one of us and Keith has talked about this, about how we each have a ministry. We each have a mission wherever we are. God has the worker there that he wants. Some of us, some of us just aren't prepared and we don't have the right tools in order to bring in the harvest or we miss the opportunity. Um, and that's a challenge for me. OK, being aware and having that if I have that vision that God does and I see people the way that God does then I don't miss those opportunities. I'm prepared when they come along. But if I'm thinking about myself, if I don't have the eyes that God has, I miss those opportunities. And God, God doesn't want to see that, okay? I think it's important that we can cultivate this idea of, not this idea, but the biblical standard that God has set forth that I, he wants us to see everybody the way that he does. And if we can develop those eyes is something that is very powerful. I got one more clip here. This one's a bit longer, so bear with me. Um, <laughs> this, this is from a movie called A Time to Kill. Okay, it's a bit heavier of a clip, all right? I hate movies that have to deal with racial tension. I, I don't like watching them. It makes me real uncomfortable, okay? But this is one of the most interesting movie scenes um, that I've seen if you don't know the story, okay, Matthew McConaughey plays a lawyer in Mississippi, and this movie came out about 25 years ago, okay, so it's not that old, all right, and um, it's still on the new movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, what I what I what I mean by that is you have a you have a town and a community that is very racially divided. Okay, and what happens is two white guys kidnap this really young elementary age school black girl. They abuse her and they try to kill her. Okay, and they get off on the trial. Okay, there's all the evidence. Everybody knew they did it. They get off. Samuel L. Jackson plays the little girl's dad and she sh he shoots these guys when they get acquitted. Okay, and so he's on trial now for their murder. All right, and these are the closing statements. And Matthew McConaughey had this idea of what he wanted to do, that, and uh, he's going to talk about it here. Uh, but right before um, this scene, the day before, he's talking to his mentor about what he can do, what he can say, and the advice that he's given. Um, and I might be misremembering the movie, but I remember the advice was that he needed to put himself in the position of his client, okay? And I want you to think about that as you hear him talk. So that, that's a bit heavy, 
Um, but what he's done is he's put himself in this father's position and he's, he's created the ability for other people to empathize with how another person feels. Okay. And what is really interesting about this one is he's telling this story and all of the jury is white. Okay. They're all white people. All right. And they're hearing this story and all they can picture is a young black girl. Okay. And sometimes our perceptions are shaped by the media and what we see. Okay. All terrorists are, you know, Middle Eastern. Okay. They've got brown skin. They dress a certain way. They talk a certain way. They look a certain way. And that can start to affect you. Okay. I've been traveling internationally lately, taking a lot of public transportation in the middle of some multiple terrorist attacks while I was over in Europe, okay? Seeing somebody get on a train and being scared for my life, unfairly judging somebody just because of the way that they look. And I've grown up on the other end of that, and I know how wrong that is, okay? And I have to pray, God, please let me see people the way that you do, okay? Let me empathize with people the way that you do, okay? It's very important that we don't let that um, impact us. Um, who had Mark chapter 1? Liz. 40, and four, 40 through 42. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, can you make me clean? Or you can make me clean. Uh, Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Okay. Um, in the Mark chapter 1 scripture, okay, um, the NIV says compassion Jesus had compassion on him that one said indignant but this is a man with lepr leprosy nobody touches a man with leprosy they're sent outside the town they're alone Jesus didn't have to touch this guy to heal him okay but he gets down on his knees touches him and heals him because he has compassion he empathizes with the plight of this person okay that's the example that we have to follow um and, and that's, that's for any type of wrong, okay? We're talking about race here just because it's important. And it's not black and white, okay? There are so many different uh, races um, and things that go on in our town that we can do um, in our world that people are treated unfairly for, okay? Whether you're, you know, short or tall, okay? Big or skinny, it's all over the place, okay? These outward appearances and... We have, to, we have to be able to imitate Jesus' example here and empathize with one another, okay? Um, going out uh, and, and being able to have these conversations with each other because what happens is, and people are turning to social media to express their opinions and throw these things out there, okay? And it's not healthy, all right? Nobody can gain context from something you type on Facebook, okay? You may be saying something that may be completely valid, but you have no idea that what you just said means something very different to your brother or sister who 
you are in church with every day because of something that they have experienced in their life. Okay? We have to be able to treat each other the way that Jesus would and view people the way that God asks us to view people. The last scripture is what I wanted to close with. Above all of these things is forgiveness. Okay? And in that scripture, it is clear that we have to be able to forgive. Whether we have been wronged for any reason whatsoever, we have to be able to forgive. And it is a command. It's not an option. God says if we cannot forgive people when they wrong us, he will not forgive us. And we can't be saved without the forgiveness of sins. Okay? At some point, we have to be able to forgive. And it's not for somebody who did us wrong. It's for our own hearts. Okay? I have... A very similar story to Julianne, except my, you know, I have mixed parents. You guys have met them, okay? Um, And I have a grandfather who just passed away a couple months ago that I've never met in my life because he didn't approve of my dad being a different color than my mom, okay? Didn't send my mom a birthday card for 20 years because of her marriage to my father, until her mom died. And I remember coming home and seeing my mom crying in the, in the dining room. And I'm like, mom, what, you know, what's going on? She's like, this is the first birthday card I got from my dad since before you were born. And I would just remember the pain and everything that she had. And she's been able to reconcile with her grandfather. Okay. But that was that in and of itself was 20 years ago. And I hadn't had a phone call, a letter, nothing. Never, you know, never met him before, not at all. And he passed away, and I have four cousins on my mom's side of the family. And I wasn't there because I was out of the country, but my brother was there. He was a pallbearer, and I was asking him about it afterwards, and he was like, it was really weird because... Our cousins were crying and they were emotional and, you know, grandfather had passed. They had personal relationships with him that we didn't get to have. And so he was like, it was weird because I didn't know how to feel. And one of the things that I've been, you know, looking at in myself is, you know, I, I still have a lot of resentment for the fact that, you know, that whole situation. I've got a part of my family that has relationships with each other and has gotten to spend time with each other just because of the color of their skin that I haven't been able to do. And it's not right for me to hold a grudge and be bitter or any of those types of things. I have to be able to forgive. And I have to be able to forgive, one, for myself, but because God said so. And the Bible says so. Okay? And, you know, I I want us to be able to have some healthy conversations about these things and hopefully when we meet in house church we can we can talk about some of these things in a safe environment where there's trust and there's no fear of judgment okay and we can help each other to be able to you know love one another and love other people that have some experiences that you may not have okay and be able to understand you know some of those things all right and help each other to be able to grow closer together and to mature as we do this. This is not easy stuff, guys, okay? And the Bible doesn't have clear-cut answers for everything, but Jesus gives us an example of how we are to deal with everybody. 
And I think if we can imitate Jesus' example here and be able to be willing to get down and touch those that are hurting and to reach out to one another with the eyes of God, okay, then we can be able to help each other through uh, some of these things that are happening, okay? Um, So hopefully uh, that uh, is, you know, encouraging for you guys, and um, we will talk about these things some more, um, but we've got some even bigger things to talk about, but uh, this is an opportunity for us to be able to talk about some things maybe we hadn't talked about before, and and do it in a productive way. So that's what I've got, and uh, thank you, guys.